Good morning. I guess the, the best way to start is by reading the scripture for this morning. So I would invite you all to go to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be reading verses 9 to 14. So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It is good to be here this morning. Although, to be honest, I do feel a little bit burned by the fact that the week I was asked to speak was the week that the clocks changed, because it means that we all get one hour less to sleep the night before. Now, <laughs> now, it actually turned out to be a good thing that I voiced my displeasure about this to James, because he realized that the 48-hour prayer event would only be 47. Um, <laughs> now, thankfully, I think, I think we're, gonna add, we're able to add on an extra hour, or maybe James will go home and pray for an hour, and... We'll make, we'll make it to 48. Um, but today we're going to be focusing on this story as told by Jesus of the Pharisee and the tax collector. What is interesting about this story is that we are often critical of the Pharisee for his words. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And certainly... The Pharisees' words are judgmental and problematic. But if this is the main point of the parable, we run into a problem. We are being critical of the Pharisee for saying he does not want to be like the tax collector. But in doing so, we are saying that we don't want to be like the Pharisee. Once we negatively judge one character and promote the other, we are getting trapped by the parable. And throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus was opposed to this type of judgmental way of thinking. So it is probably for the best that we try to avoid that as well. So what does the parable actually mean? What is the message? To explore this, I want to look at the role that anti-Semitism has likely played in our understanding of the parable, and also to do a contextual analysis of the characters to try to bring out the heart of what Jesus is saying. I hope that we can understand that Jesus is not simply telling us to avoid being like the Pharisee and to be like the tax collector. That this is not merely a story of role reversals where the saint becomes a sinner and the sinner becomes a saint. I think there's a much greater challenge for us. What I would like to get across is that we do not need to put limits on God's generosity and grace that our good actions can have a deep impact on those around us, and finally, to encourage us to take joy in appreciating everyone's role in community, regardless of how we gauge the level of their contribution.
Maybe the place to start is by dispelling a couple of myths about Pharisees. For us as Christians, we often have this built-in idea that Pharisees are negative figures. Pharisees are often seen as these hypocritical elitists who are more preoccupied with following God's laws than God's heart. And on occasion, as we read in the Gospels, this is certainly true of some Pharisees. But in reality, in their time, Pharisees were seen as righteous and respected teachers. What's more is that according to the famous historian Josephus, there's Josephus up on the screen, he said that the Pharisees have the multitude on their side. That is to say that the Pharisees were the ones who would engage with and teach the community as a whole. The Pharisees were the religious leaders that common people would actually get to interact with. So listeners to this parable would have actually been surprised that a Pharisee would be dismissive of others in the community rather than making an effort to encourage them to follow God's laws. We have also been trained to recognize the stories of tax collectors as stories of redemption. And there are a number of exciting examples of this throughout the Gospels, such as the story of Zacchaeus, which happens in the following chapter of Luke. But it is important to note how people at that time still viewed tax collectors. We have created this image of tax collectors where they are on the margins of society. And while they did have to deal with resentment from Jews who viewed them as traitors, tax collectors did not have an absence of power, wealth, or status. What we read in Luke is that tax collectors were wealthy. For example, Zacchaeus was very wealthy. And we read that tax collectors were well-connected and that they were able to host banquets, as Levi did in chapter 5. Tax collectors had influence and they had power. And so the sympathies of those in the audience that Jesus is speaking to, the, the, sympathies, the sympathies would still be with the Pharisee, unlike ours that are with the tax collector. And where sympathies lie has a deep impact on how we read and understand the parable because it affects who we believe the protagonist of the story to be. The parable would have matched people's assumptions that the Pharisee was righteous and the tax collector was living a sinful lifestyle. But it still evokes a reaction for further review because both the characters in the story are actually these humorous characters. The Pharisee represents the saint and has far exceeded exceeded what is required in the law. No text requires everything to be tithed, but this Pharisee tithes from everything he has. So that would include tithing from his home, his clothes, his animals, all of these things. So the Pharisee is giving back a tremendous amount that can be used to bless people in the community. There is also no requirement to fast two times per week, as this Pharisee does. What is interesting is that this extra fasting would not just be considered a good personal act, but a meritorious act on behalf of the community. So essentially, Jesus has painted a picture of a Pharisee that is as good as can be. This Pharisee does all the right stuff and beyond. In contrast, the Jewish audience Jesus was speaking to would have been surprised and possibly a bit bothered that a tax collector could be repentant. And they would probably be even further annoyed by the idea that he could go home justified. But they did know that God's grace is not restricted. 
So while the tax collector's prayer of repentance may have caught those in the audience off guard, they would not have been shocked that he receives the grace they knew God is capable of granting. What I hope we can understand from these contextual analyses is is that, unfortunately, we are often still being taught through a lens of anti-Semitism. For centuries, Jewish people and institutions have been painted as negatives in stories, even when that is not warranted. I believe that understanding these biases is critical to having an honest reading of the parable. When taking this into consideration, it is worth re-examining the words of the Pharisee. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. It is important to note that in the first place, the prayer does acknowledge a dependence on God. God, I thank you. The prayer is to God, and thankfulness is expressed by to God. The Pharisee is recognizing God as being at the heart of his goodness. Secondly, we may be critical of the fact that in verse 12, the Pharisee lists everything that he has done well. Often, we have dismissed these words as arrogant and self-dependent. And many of us may even be waiting for him to admit that he is not good enough, that he does not measure up. We may feel that is a precondition for God to forgive us or love us. I think sometimes we think that recognizing our own depravity, focusing on the ways we are not good enough, is what puts us on the path to salvation. And while there is certainly a place for repentance, I think that what God desires above all else is a loving relationship with us. And most loving relationships are not founded on one side, constantly acknowledging how they do not measure up. God's love for us is much deeper than that, and it is not conditional on us running ourselves down. God will love us and want us to be saved regardless, because that is who God is. And I think it can be a joyful experience to explore the ways that we and other people in our community are reflecting God's character. To the Pharisee, the good works listed, tithing and fasting, are what he understands that God wants him to do. It is not unreasonable, then, that he would bring them up in conversation with God. Jewish people may have been proud of following Torah in the same way we Christians are proud of going to church or feeding the hungry or connecting with people in our community. Personal recognition does not detract from love towards God or from repentance. We do not need to have a depraved mindset. We can acknowledge that God created us very good and we are capable of doing things pleasing to God. The problem with the prayer is not the Pharisee's listing of his good acts. It's in the Pharisee's negatively judging someone else, rather than trying to help bring them into a better relationship with God. I thank you, God, that I am not like this tax collector. The Pharisee has the information to speak about his own status, but he does not have all the information to judge the heart of any other person. It is what we should avoid as well when reading this parable. The temptation for the listeners at the time would be to judge the tax collector, and the temptation for us today is to judge the Pharisee. This is the crux of the parable, and this is where Jesus is trying to draw our attention.
Jesus' summary statement at the end of the parable in Luke 18, verse 14, tells us that the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. But depending on how we translate from the original Greek, Jesus could actually be telling us something quite different. The Greek Greek prefix para can be a bit of a tricky word in the sense that it can mean multiple things. We actually use para in English as well. For example, parallel lines, meaning lines that run alongside one another and never touch. So in verse 14 of the parable, para is translated as rather than. And naturally, this translation leads us to see the tax collector as justified and the Pharisee as not being justified. However, para has multiple translations And its primary connotations is not one of antagonism. It's not normally rather than. It more commonly is used to say alongside or even because of. Therefore, the last line of the parable could be understood as the tax collector went home justified alongside the Pharisee. Or it can even be understood as the tax collector went home justified because of the Pharisee. Jesus and Jewish people living in his time did not believe in limited good. They knew that God was generous and that there was enough grace for both the Pharisee and the tax collector. It does not need to be one or the other. They also believed in communal good and meritorious acts on behalf of the community. They believed that one person's good good actions can provide a blessing to the whole community. So, as much as some may have been upset that the tax collector could reap the benefits of the Pharisees' good deeds, they knew it could happen. While I was researching for speaking today, I was greatly helped by the writing of a woman named Amy Jill Levine. She is a professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School, and she's an affiliated professor at the Center for the Study of Jewish-Christian Relations at Cambridge. She's also author of a book called Short Stories by Jesus, which is an excellent book, and if you read it, you'll probably realize that a lot of what I'm saying today is from her. Um... But Levine, she says that this story, this parable, is in many ways reminiscent of a group project in school. How many people have been part of a group project at school? Lots of people here. Maybe not the best experience, but I think we've all done it. And so what she says is that some people in the group will often end up doing a lot of work, while the other group members contribute little to nothing. Now... The people who are doing a lot cover the less hardworking people. And when the project receives an excellent grade and the person who does not contribute benefits from the work of the other people in the group, we may consider this unfair if we are the hardworking ones. And even though the hardworking ones are justified with a good grade, the people who did not work as hard get the same grade alongside them. And that is often troubling to us if we work hard. And sometimes, rather than being happy and thankful for being rewarded with a good mark, we may exclaim things like, those people don't deserve the same grade as us. (laughs) Maybe the reason for that, as Amy Jill Levine writes, is that our sense of justice is too narrow. 
our sense of generosity too constrained, and our sense of self-importance too great. The person who contributed little to nothing in the group project believed in the system. They may have been regarded as lazy, unintelligent, or incapable, but they may well have done what they could. They may have felt inadequate, but they trusted the rest of the group members, and they trusted in the system. They believed in generosity and community. So, I work in a Toronto community housing neighborhood, and that means that housing there is subsidized by the government. Many of the parents that I know there are employed, but there are a few parents who do not work and are completely reliant on the welfare system. There is often a certain resentment brought on by the general public towards these people. They're lazy, they're not contributing, contributing anything. Why should my tax dollars go towards supporting them? Statements like this. But over my time working in Toronto community housing, I have really been moved by the ways that some of these parents who are completely reliant on the welfare system do contribute. I've witnessed them to be the ones who supervise 10 children going swimming at the community pool. I've witnessed them to be the ones who watch over the children at the playground and who welcome people over for meals. While people from the outside may be upset they are not earning money for themselves through employment, these parents are contributing in the best way that they can, and there is certainly something to be appreciated about that. When we trust in the system, we can recognize everyone for what they're contributing and can learn the different ways that they reflect God's character. In the parable, we learn about God's faithfulness from the Pharisee, and we learn about God's grace from the tax collector. To ignore or dismiss either character would be to omit the ways that God's goodness is shining through to the world. Community was central to the society that God had created and that Jesus lived in. The idea that the tax collector received justification because of the good works of the Pharisee would not have been a foreign concept for the people in the audience listening to Jesus. We need not look further than in the Lord's Prayer, in which we read phrases such as, Our Father, give us, forgive us. There is an undeniable presence of community in the way we are encouraged to pray. There is a connectedness between people expressed in the Lord's Prayer in which good and bad acts by individuals clearly impact the whole community. About a year ago, James spoke to us about the Lord's Prayer, and he pointed out that the phrase, Give us today our daily bread, does not mean storing up food forever. It's for that day. And storing up food forever would have the consequence of other people not having daily bread. And I think that demonstrates the interrelationship that exists between people and community. To go further back, in Genesis 18, we read about how Abraham pleads with God not to destroy Sodom. What if only 40 righteous people are found there? For the sake of 40, I will not destroy it, God responds. The bargaining goes all the way down to 10 righteous people. And God responds, 
For the sake of ten righteous people, I will not destroy the city. There is a clear precedent that people's good acts and righteousness have an impact on those around them. So, the people may have considered it unfair that the tax collector could simply be helped by the overabundance of good deeds done by the Pharisee. And so might we. But it is also worth remembering how we have benefited from the good deeds and faithfulness of Jesus' life. There is a clear template in place that we benefit from other people's goodness on multiple levels. What I think this parable teaches us is that divine grace cannot be restricted. Because if we consider grace as finite, we are limiting God. The type of generosity shown by a God who makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust alike. The type of generosity that allows the tax collector to tap into the collective repentance of the temple system and the good deeds of the Pharisee is what I hope we can desire, not just for ourselves, but also for everyone in our community and in our world. Living together in community has strong ties to the school group project. And if our good deeds aid someone else, rather than begrudge them, why not celebrate all who are justified? We can afford to be generous. I want to close with a proposition that when we appreciate what everyone is contributing, and when we are excited for those who may not be able to contribute as much, instead of experiencing resentment, we get to delight in being justified together. So let's expand our sense of justice. And rather than lamenting one another's contributions, let's take joy in doing good and having other people benefit from it.